Do you want to ride or die? Because, yo, you got to have your ride or dies with you. La, da, 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 da. We're putting forth something that Tupac made or from something that Biggie made. Like their hands touched this stuff, metaphorically or literally. These guys are 24, 25 years old when they pass. Their music and their spirit and their souls were so large that we're still here 25 years later talking about them still being on the Mount Rushmore. How do I want someone to experience Tupac's life? How do I want someone who knows him intimately to experience it? And how do I want someone that doesn't know him at all to experience it? What up, what up, what up? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, want to thank you for joining us for another edition of the Charles Coleman Podcast. I'm your host. You already know what it is. Charles Coleman in the building. We're going to start off with the Bison beatdown triangle offense that we are running to my left. We've got Mr. Style and Performance himself, Emerson's own Mr. High Energy DJ CEO is in the building. Gang, gang. What's Yo, happening, you're looking bro? like you stepped off the set of Casino. I mean, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like I got a lot of money. You, you looking feeling, like you got a lot of money, my G. That's how you got to do it out I'm, here. I'm feeling wealthy right now. I love it. I love what you're doing. You champagneing, pinky ringing, and hey, campaigning. Hey, hey. And of course, to my right, it's the loud mouth from down south. The sister I never knew that I needed and really didn't want, but I got her anyway. The one, the only Hillary Younger is in the building. Let's let's just give you a round of applause. You're giving, you're giving black, black Daphne. I appreciate it. I like what you're doing. I told you you need to find me a new name. The no, the, before, the before it was the mouth of the South, it's the loud mouth of the South. It's different. It's a little different. Even more disrespectful. Like you raised the disrespect a little bit. The loud mouth I, of I the South? I kind of did, though. You did. You, got, you caught that? Oh, I did. I did. You're looking like, you, but you're giving um, Daphne from Scooby Doo to that. Well, thank you. It. Thank you. I thought I would bring in spring, you know. This is, this is like a real retro mm -hmm. couch right now it in terms is. of the look that mm -hmm. it's given. The synergy. We're always in sync. We are. We are. You know people out there, they're sick right now. Uh, the people. Sick. They're, they're, they'll be all right. What would they be without us then? Church. So I, I do have a question though. Someone said this the other day and it made me laugh. Black men are more faithful to their barbers than they are to their women. <laughs> like we don't... We don't mess around, and we we so faithful. Black men don't cheat. Amen. Amen. And we don't cheat on our barbers. If we <laughs> if we go to another barber, we be feeling like emotionally bad. Like, oh, yeah. hell, do black women have that sort of like loyalty to your hairdresser? Um, you do until she loses her razzle dazzle. What is a razzle dazzle? Until she starts making you look like an auntie. But there are some black women that are chair hoppers because the reality of hairstyles. Never yeah, it's, it's Never called chair hopping. Like there, there are stylists who do pixies very well, right? You know, like a shortcut. Okay. And she's like, and that's all she does. That's and then so there are women oh. who do like sew-ins or wigs or, you know, silk presses. So honestly, it, it kind of lends itself to chair hopping, depending on where you are in your hair journey. Because a woman does a great silk press doesn't mean she can do a great twist out. You know what I'm saying? So it you doesn't might even have mean like that she a really wants person? to. Absolutely. The and person then like who braids your hair person? is never the person who styles your hair. That makes sense. Yeah, like, I mean, come on now. The barber is like, he just does, do he does what he does. He does your, it's not like I got a different beard guy than a different <laughs> hair guy. Like, right. you know what I'm saying? It's just I feel guy. like I am the rites of passage person for the Charles Coleman podcast, honestly. What does that even mean? Every time I come here, I am teaching you African Americans something black. <laughs> I am fully like. The funniest thing about that is people who are listening would really think you black. They would think Hillary is black. black right. She's the most African-American person I know. And that's how I want to sell it. Like, I'm relatable. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm rela it. I'm the fact relatable. that she even said, I'm, I'm really relatable. relatable. Very relatable. Right. Like, it's such marketing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, that's going to bring us to our shortcuts. This is our news and views, our conversation about things that you may not be hearing in mainstream media, but have an impact on culture and community. So we're going to get started with something fun. This is our latest edition of One Gotta Go. So you guys know how this game goes. Basically, Mm -hmm. I give you four different things and you guys have to pick which one has to go. Mm -hmm. So today, Mm -hmm. we're taking it to the boob tube. We're taking it to TV. All right, one's got to go. Okay. We've got Living Single. Okay. The Cosby Show. Mm. A Different World. Mm. And Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Jeez. One's got to go. What was the first one again? Living Single. And Khadijah went to Howard, so don't play. I'm going to say Fresh Prince. Yeah, I'm going to say Fresh Prince. Wow. And I'm going to say Fresh Prince because as a man, you would probably automatically assume like maybe Living Single because it was kind of so heavy like on the black woman nah, side. No, no, no. I think But it was like my first introduction and in, like from a television standpoint to like entrepreneurship. So it, it holds a lot of weight for me. Um, the Cosby Show is just untouchable. And then A Different World is untouchable too because how do I even end up at Howard? Who would go to college without, without a, different a Different World? So that's, you know. See, I don't agree. I get it. I know. Living, living Single for me would have to go. Wow! Mm. I'm very surprised to hear you say yeah, that. Mainly because they were really old to still be living together for me. I bring that up all the time. <laughs> yeah. All the time. And, and with good job. That's a fair point. Yeah, I you, never even thought really about that. They were really old to still be living together. I never thought about there that. There were, how many women in that apartment? Three? Four? Three. No, Three. Maxine lived somewhere else. Oh, she so did? So it was okay. Khadija, Regine. Regine, and the- Sinclair. Sinclair. Yeah. So many, no. And and rent was affordable then too. And and honestly, that was it was kind of like for me, very neck and neck with Fresh Prince of Bel Air and Living Single. But that's what did it for me with Living Real quick, Single. Real quick, and girlfriends, did they live together? Well, Lynn kept. She was kind of like the friend who couldn't get it together. She yeah. kept. Oh, well, okay, so, that makes so sense. she was kind of a squatter. You know, would come back and forth. But that happens. You know, yeah, what I'm no, saying? that's real life. That happens. But none of them lived together. One was married. You know, the other one was a realtor. One was an attorney. So they were pretty much either establishing themselves or already established. I just didn't understand why nobody ever made the decision, hey, so it's kind of time for me to move out. You know what I'm saying? We're sharing a bathroom. I couldn't be, I'm sorry, I couldn't. No, I didn't share a bathroom. Yet. Let me stop before they realize I am African All right, so mine, let me be unpopular. It's all right, because this is- You always is. unpopular, just go ahead. I've been unpopular. Yes, absolutely. And yet I'm here. I mean, go. I mean, that's okay. There you go, right? So I'm going to have to get rid of uh, a different world. Clearly, living single was important because you don't get friends without living single. Tell us why you're getting rid of a different world. Because, don't try to piggyback sure, on the living single. Sure. Go but I'm going by why I don't get rid of everything else. It's, it's kind of like process of elimination, unfortunately. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It's nothing. There's nothing wrong with a different world while I'm getting rid of right. it. It's just I'm sort of like talking about why the other ones have something that in my opinion, they got to stay. You said something sacrilegious and now you're trying to do the whole lawyer thing. Tell us why because you're getting you rid get, of because, all these black people's college educations. Tell because us why. You, because you get Every you get a lot. You just killed Lou um, Rawls. Tell us why. I didn't just kill Lou yeah, Rawls. Yeah, you did. The, ne- the, the Negro, what was the college fund? <laughs> the United Negro College the United, Fund. I didn't Tell kill us Lou Rawls. why you just assassinated Lou Rawls. Don't, see, you ain't gonna put that on me. You did. You got don't rid of the world. Put the spirit of Lou Rawls' death on me. Mm. I rebuke that and rebuke you, Daphne. All right? So I think that you get most of the good stuff about a different world, or a lot of it, spirit wise, from the Cosby, Cosby Show. Yeah. 
You do not. You do. You do not get a girl from Baltimore. No, you don't. Like okay. that's later. Y'all are tripping. That's later. Later. That's later. Is, that's later. Later. No. 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 It's not that much later. Did you had Denise in the room? What about um the R A? Uh, what's her name? Um, Kim. Juli- uh, uh, Jalissa. 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 You don't get Jalissa. Jalissa was a no. Late. Yes, you do with Pam. Jaleesa and she Pam. She was in terms a late of, in life student. That woman had no, been but married. Term, but, think about, but think about sort of the challenges that Pam had on Cosby's show compared to Jaleesa. Pam, you know what I'm saying? Pam Young was mothers. a cousin who came out of obscurity. They never even talked about They did like, talk about her backstory. From. How was she a cousin? Because this is the thing about the Cosby show. And boy, now you're talking about plot holes. That's <laughs> no, totally different. Totally, right. because we never saw those kids go over to their auntie's house. They didn't spend a night with their grandmother. They didn't visit. The Cosby kids were very, very sheltered. Rudy it was very spent insular. The night. Rudy Rudy with the grandpa. Over whose house? Over she the was the only one. What about the other kids? Well, she it was, was old. How did they girl. get a cousin and they didn't have an aunt or you, uncle? You, you, you talk about too many plots. You reach no, no, no. This is way too deep. If you get rid of a different world, you don't go to college and you don't go to college. I'm going to college. You know why? Because Claire Huxtable and Dr. Huxtable. You're selling crack. No, they told me to go to college. And I wasn't going down to Baltimore to get donuts with the no. wretched. I see. Right? You with so the that's wretched. What, so that's I-95 no, no. on the Eastern and Wind Unit. Both of y'all shackled to the floor. <laughs> We're going to no move college. on. We're going to move on. Recently, I don't know if you heard, there was a, a gym in uh, Florida. I think it was LA Fitness. Mm-hmm. They had a, um, a rodent infestation and the rodent got stomped out. Oh, um, okay. And, uh, I like the way you told the story. You, 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 really, you I know. I like yo. I like that. that. I like ah. that. You did good there. That's like that's that that's that retro vibe. We nah, I like that. you. You don't gotta say it. You just understand I like that. It, right? That's mob talk right there. Of course, the old saying is, "Snitches get stitches." Yeah. But where is the line between like I'm snitching, I'm telling, versus I want a safe community? So what was going on at LA Fitness that would? Takashi got his ass beat. Yeah. Oh, wrong place, right time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean that's, but that's what But it started me. It made me start thinking about this conversation about like cooperating with law enforcement mm-hmm. in our community and mm-hmm. that narrative. He's not relevant at all to this yeah. conversation. Mm-hmm. But where do we draw that line in terms of like you ain't got to be talking to Popo, but you talking to Popo? Like, is that snitching? And you mean especially if you're not a part of this life? This yes, life? if you're not, you're not in that life. You just tell him. It's for black people. It's always going to be complicated. It's never black and white. So there's no right or wrong answer. The truth of the matter is, we don't trust law enforcement. We have a reason not to trust law enforcement. And even if we're looking for um, things to be done to clean up the community, we never expected it to be done on a righteous note. So that's why it's it's hard for us to have an appreciation for somebody who is going to talk to the police. Because we know something simple as, you know, three days in jail or just going to prison in general could solve it. But no, this means like people can lose family members like unnecessarily because they, they are the biggest gang in the world. They definitely convolute things. Right. Um, it, it's very hard. I mean, we have a terrible relationship in our community with law enforcement. And so it, it's tough because... What has what happens now is people break code. Like we used to have a code where old people, children, you know, mothers, off limits. Off limits. Yeah. And so I think now for me, those are the reasons that I may like, you know, engage the police. I don't really mess with the police like that. I don't either. And I'm a former prosecutor. My relationship with law enforcement mm-hmm. is tenuous at best mm-hmm. because before I'm any of that. I'm a black man, so I've never had police pull me over and ask me, mm-hmm. 
where'd you go to college? I think part of the issue is that we sort of conflate the notion of safety with an automatic involvement of law enforcement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as long as we do that, it's going to be a thing. Yeah. And so the notion of snitching and what that is versus telling or what have you, like you said, it get, uh, CEO, it gets really, really complicated. Mm -hmm. I mean, now for people who are in the space yeah, fam, just and you violate that, I got no love for you. Once you cross that threshold yeah. and you're there, yeah. like whatever happens to you, happens to you. Yeah, but I also think that, you know, we need to start self-governing again. Like, Agreed. Daddy's, 100%. uncles, brothers, 100%. all that kind of thing. Like, I mean, I'm, you know, again, I'm from Texas, so I keep that thing on me. Like, it's just... Show out and get woe out. That needs to be on a t-shirt. I'm just saying, show out and get woe out. I, that sounds like something your grandmother <laughs> told you before you went I to am. the store. Because I'm going to get away. <laughs> <laughs> well, get listen, away. let us know what you think. Which one of the four would you have gotten rid of? Put it in the comments. Whether you think snitching or telling is okay, if it's wrong, let us know your thoughts. Put it in the comments. Drop us downstairs for us on the Charles Coleman Podcast. We read those things. We respond. We'll be right back with another amazing conversation that we got lined up for, for us. So stay tuned. This is, of course, our Black Brilliance branded conversations where we are having conversations with movers and shakers across all different industries. Super excited about this discussion we're going to be having today and my special guest. We got a two for one this time on the couch joining me. You may not know who they are now. You might, but definitely by the interview by the time it's over, you will know not only who they are, but you will be super familiar with their work. I am pleased, super excited, thrilled to welcome to announce Aaron Sachs and Jeff Walker, who are in the building. What up, what up, what up, what up? Welcome to the Charles Coleman Podcast, Aaron and Jeff. So to give listeners, viewers some background on who you all are, uh, both of these individuals are responsible for curating experiences with the estates of two legendary, iconic hip-hop figures. Now, you know, Aaron has worked with the estates of a number of different people. Bill Withers, he works with RZA, Otis Redding, uh, but he has done something in particular around the life of Tupac Shakur. Curating an entire experience basically walking all the way through his entire life and everything about him. Whereas Jeff, Jeff has done something on the other coast by curating an incredible experience around the music, the culture, the life of the Notorious B.I.G., an incredible event at Lincoln Center here in New York. A lot of people didn't know whether he was going to be able to pull it off. Not only did he pull it off, but he pulled it off and it was super dope. And so now I have both of them as curators of, of of amazing experiences around iconic hip-hop folks, and I'm super excited to get into the discussion. So first, Aaron, and then Jeff, why don't you just tell people a little bit about, number one, your vision, and then number two, your work, particularly as it relates to Biggie and Tupac, and what it is that you've done so that they can be more familiar. Uh, well, thank you, Charles. Uh, nice to see you. Good to see you, my friend, Jeff Walker. Um, man, thank you for that introduction as well. Uh, my favorite thing you said was in relation to Jeff, but it said to me and to us all the time, which is we didn't think you could do that. Um, you know, put a little time, effort and care into something and you'll be surprised what happens, especially when it's been neglected for so long. Um, I was really fortunate to um, produce 
a wonderful educational experience called Tupac Shakur, Wake Me When I'm Free. Um, the core of that uh, entire exhibition is about who Tupac uh, is, was as a man, and to give context to who he is. And all art is context. So when you're explaining who somebody is or what they've created, it's always good to know the environments from where they came. And that really was the, the impetus for the exhibit. So that project um, opened here in Los Angeles last year, January of 2022. Just excited for everybody else to see it across the country and the world. Jeff? First of all, thanks, Charles, for the great introduction. Um, you know, Aaron Aaron is literally like my brother, so I, I get excited to hear him talk about the Tupac exhibit and what he was able to pull off. And, I, you know, I've known him for 20-some-odd years, so I never had any doubt that it was going to be pulled off and done at the highest level. And I think vice versa, when I called him and said, hey, I got this crazy idea, you know, what I want to do with Big, he there was no doubt in his mind that 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 I would pull it off. Now, as you go out to those other people that you have to convince and pitch um, on what your idea is, you know, they don't know Jeff Walker from Jeff's not a music guy that's been in the music industry for, for three decades. Jeff is just some dude who's done some legacy work with Serena and, and, and Venus, um, Derek Jeter board member. and Flex you know, on him, Jeff. Flex on him. We've here for I mean, I'm just trying. We're here for it, brother. Flex on him. If they don't know my resume, they don't know my resume. Well, that's some of the resume, you know? And so I have a high level of belief in my passion and my love from the Notorious B.I.G. Sonically, I know we're never going to hear Big again, actually, live and in person, obviously. But how do we hear him and how do we experience him in a new format um, in a way and in an environment that no one maybe had ever expected hip-hop to go but specifically the Notorious B.I.G. because he, he isn't here. So as I was sitting in my loft here in Los Angeles, California, you know, it was literally like, I want to hear Big with a full-on orchestra behind him, and I want to hear Ready to Die, and I want to hear Life After Death. I knew that I could get it together because I had some relationship with Lincoln Center. Thank you for my brother on this call with me um, as well, who got me in touch with um, a few people over there. And then I, and then I had to explain it to them um, what I wanted to do. And for whatever reason, Big working above was like, hey, okay, we believe we, this can happen. Like, it was like, yes, let's go ahead. Then I had to, then I, the biggest thing for me though, and, and Aaron will talk about this, I'm sure as well, is like, once you get the support of the estate, because respectfully, could I have gone out and done this and tried to do it? Yeah, of course I could have, but you have to have the, 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 the backing of those people who were instrumental in keeping Big's legacy alive since he's been gone for 25 plus years. And thank you for Wayne Barrow, Mark Pitts, Elliot Osage, and Mama Wallace giving me, my, giving me the blessing. Them, again, not knowing necessarily who I was other than I think they saw my passion. And I know that they always want to see the legacy elevated in different environments, and I was able to provide that. So... For me, we were blessed to have all the pieces come together, and it, 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 got, it put a battery in my back once the estate was like, let's rock and roll, Jeff. Go ahead. We trust you to do this. So I knew I had to bring it at the highest level possible, and thankfully, we were able to, we were able to do so and executed it, and we did it back in June of last year, and I think people are still talking about it, um, and more things to come. Let's get right into it. You guys are stewards of the legacies of two really, really critical figures in the hip hop landscape. And part of what I think is so critical around the context that art provides to go back to what Aaron was talking about is when you're talking 
about the conversation about hip hop at 50. And individually, both Big and Tupac represent so much in so many different ways. But collectively, they also represent something very, very unique and important to the history of hip hop. How do you feel like you all's work further capitalizes on that story if you're looking at the big picture of hip hop at 50? Like really, you know, what does that art mean to you and what do you feel like the way that you chose to curate that art adds to the tapestry of hip hop at 50? Because art is storytelling and it helps to contextualize stories as much as it does tell them. So I'm curious to see, you know, they mean so much to the culture and to the story of hip hop. And what do you feel like your art does to enhance that as part of that? Jeff, please. For me, it was 48 years old. So I grew up in the culture, hip hop fundamentally outside of my biological parents raised me. I learned everything about, you know, even about my black ancestry, you know, through listening to Boogie Down Productions, Karis One, Chuck sure. D, Enemy. So hip hop's important to me. Um, so when I think about what these gentlemen's legacies mean, it's for it's a growth and evolution, I think, for the culture of hip hop at 50. Um, and that growth and evolution for me was how do I take this music that means so much to me and how do I create and put it in places and spaces that it wasn't necessarily supposed to be in and to make it seem more normal going forward for the next 50 years that we should be at Carnegie, we should be at Lincoln Center, we should be at Meridian Hall Toronto, we should be at Royal Albert Hall in London, we should be at all these places and spaces that necessarily weren't open to our culture as black people to even attend shows in the 50s and the 60s. And, you know, you think about the history of Lincoln Center. I mean, Lincoln Center is built on San Juan Hill, which was a predominantly Latin and black community. So, all right, you you you, you kick us out um, to build these places and then you don't let us in. So there's a lot to how, and I use this pun all the time, it just is what it is. Like for me, it was, she's man. Big has a song called Kick in the Door. I have a responsibility with having a part in helping the legacy continue to grow of kicking in the door into these places and spaces that one would build a narrative that, Oh, hip hop is it's too gangster. It's too dangerous to have this type of audience in our environment, man, whatever. I'm going to show you how you can do it. I'm going to show you how to build a show that allows for these venues to be able to digest it and take it in. And then for their members to be like, Oh man, hip hop, we put it in this one box, but it's in a total different environment and box than we ever even imagined it before. And they didn't even imagine. They didn't have the vision for that. But I wanted to show them how to how to build the vision, how to make it work. Um, and thankfully, we're able to do that. So I just think it's growth and evolution. And that's what I think as a steward of the culture, that's what my role is for the culture, to keep on growing it and evolving it to be part of these other places and spaces. And for people who might not be familiar with it intimately to be able to digest it in a way that can translate to them and they have a connection point with it so they can develop the love in the way that I have the love for it. You know, as, as one, Aaron, I want to get to you on that same question, but I just will note that uh, for you to reference that song, I'm from Queens, and the song that that is about, the song of that, that kicking the door is about, that MC is literally my favorite MC. So you struck a nerve there. If you really understand, this is where 
if you follow the culture, you got to understand the culture. I'm not saying no names. I'm a, y'all listen. No, but that, but hold it, hold it. You live in Brooklyn though now. So I do, I do, like, but I that's still listen, listen. I'm still <laughs> Queens at the heart. And if you follow the culture and you are someone who follows the show, you got to go do your own research to understand what me and Jeff are talking about because that song, Kicking the Door, was actually about a particular MC who's from New York and was super hot at the time. So we're just going to leave that there. But, Aaron, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on how does that expression of this art in a particular way, where do you fit that into the context of hip-hop at 50? And, what, and, and how do you feel like that helps to contextualize the larger conversation that we're having? Sure. Uh Tupac specifically, steward is such a great word. You know, sometimes we are the leaders of these things, and sometimes we are merely a passenger. Um, I have situations and clients of mine, like the Redding family, who uh, I am at the front of that ship steering with them. Um, Tupac is such a large entity, and I don't mean that in a business sense, I mean in a global sense. You know, he is not just a person, he is a thought. He is a, he is bigger than life. So when thinking about what can one mortal man, no pun intended, do to help further that along, it's similar to what Jeff said. Like we can merely put this artist in this art into rooms that it hasn't been before. So people go, oh, that's what that means. Or, oh, that's what thug life means. They hate you gives little infants fucks everybody. Oh, well, what does that mean? And to pull that, oh, I just thought that was a tattoo across his stomach. The whole concept for Wake Me When I'm Free was the unpeeling of the layers of the onion. Um, for those of your audience, Charles, that actually uh, made it to the exhibit here in L.A., you'll understand that you walk into a very clean, white, beautiful lobby over 25,000 square feet, but you're walking into what is his place in heaven. And then the first thing that you do from that beautiful white all beautiful spaces you walk into the scene of a hanging because you can't you can't explain what this man is saying at 25 years old without explaining why he is saying it and again all art is context so when i think about the 50th anniversary of something that we created you know there's not many forms that we've created uh that we get credit for in this life uh, and in this world you know we have jazz and we have hip-hop and that's about all they're giving us credit for these days, but we'll take it. It's a start and we need to continue that. All these different genres, but hip hop is our most important. It's the world's most important. It is the beat that everybody dances to globally. Um, and just to be involved in the idea that we're putting forth something from something that Tupac made or from something that Biggie made, like their hands touched this stuff metaphorically or literally whether it's an item in the exhibit or his or his writing of kick in the door and that experience which turns into a song. For me, from you know, 48-year-old Aaron Sachs from Boston, Massachusetts, that gets to think about, okay, how do I want someone to experience Tupac's life? How do I want someone who knows him intimately to experience it? And how do I want someone that doesn't know him at all to experience it? So I think for me, and I, I don't want to speak for Jeff, but these are pinch yourself moments, uh, but you also have to slap yourself out of it to understand you got to deliver. Back to the original point at the top of the conversation, which is we didn't think you could do it. We didn't think you could be here. Um, everything is about resources, but if you, 
and we know who holds most of those resources. Right. Uh, Hip Hop 50 is a, uh, it's wonderful to celebrate what, what was accomplished and started 50 years ago, but there's no organization that's holding it that we own. There's no one entity that is doing it and benefiting all the people that built hip hop over the last 50 years. It's, it is a, it is a number with a zero in it. And it's cool for this year, August 11th, will be wonderful in New York city and all over the world. But like, let's keep going, but uh, we have to stop and celebrate, but we have to keep going. You, you all both touched on something that, um, is a challenge for me. So this summer, uh, for Big's birthday, if you recall, Jeff or Aaron, you may know, New York City's transit at the particular subway stops where I grew up, where my cousins grew up, in terms of like just running around the neighborhood, they issued these special big transit cards and it was a really big deal. Right, right. That's it right there, right? I remember the morning, I really wasn't even going to try to go and get one. But I did just stop by to see like how crazy it was. And it was crazy. It was nuts. Double, triple, wrapped around both at Clinton, Washington, both on the G train and on the C train, if you know anything about, you know, New York subway life. But it was lots of, lots of, lots of, lots of, lots of white people. Mad gentrification. And the thing that, I have wrestled with is while the talent of Big and Tupac was otherworldly and was super unique, the experience of each in terms of what they gave voice to was very common. That experience is what made them so loved and relatable because there were so many who they spoke for. The same people who were in that line weren't really necessarily necessarily interested in hearing that experience. Now, as cultural icons, as Aaron said, yo, this is hip-hop is the beat that they dance to. It's a very interesting dichotomy for me to wrestle with, with the people who don't look like me, who are so willing to embrace the talent of a big or a Pac, but also still skeptical and willing to reject the experience of the tens of thousands of people who they spoke for. That's something that I have a real difficulty reconciling. And as you all look at, in a, from a hindsight perspective, the numbers of people who sort of embrace the art now as compared to rejecting the experience then and now, how do you sort of navigate that? Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff. That's a, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Yeah, it goes back to, you know, deeper conversation around cultural appropriation. You know, now that it's cool to like hip hop because it is ubiquitous and it's everywhere. Now they can lean into it, but yet they don't know the struggles as to why hip hop began in the first place. Um, and I and I think this is how I do it now. And this is how and this is I mean, this is just me, man. I don't give a damn about what, how they feel. I don't give a damn about how they might be trying to jump on the bandwagon and embrace it. I don't care because I don't do this for them. 
I feel like I understand those struggles as a black man in America. Now, I didn't grow up, I didn't grow up, you know, at the poverty line. I grew up, you know, in a, thankfully my parents, two-parent household, middle-class family, if you will. Um, and I knew but my pride of my culture as a black man and wh where I came from. So I'm still of the fact that, yo, you guys are, you guys are kind of stealing the culture to a degree and not recognizing the stories. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to hit you over the head again and again and again with where we're going to keep on moving this thing. Hop on the train. You are, to Aaron's point earlier, you guys are actually passengers, okay? So if you're a passenger, sometimes, you know, you want to know you're going you're gonna to be in the main cabin, you're going to be in Delta Comfort, you're going to be in first class. Well, we're flying the ship, thankfully, flying the plane. The ones that are the 10,000 people that big and them are speaking and Pac have been speaking for are, I believe, riding first class now. Y'all can sit in the main cab and come along for the ride. And that's fine. I don't have to explain everything to you because I know those people that really care that are the ones that are moving this damn needle forward are those 10,000 plus people. Are those kids like myself, those kids like Aaron, those kids throughout the globe that, are, that have come from challenging environments? We're going to keep on flying this plane moving forward. The ancillary fans are always going to be there. Fine, so be it. Enjoy the music. I'm not I'm not necessarily doing it for y'all anyway. Right. I'm doing it for right. those first-class passengers, okay. those 10,000 people, and I'm trying to do it while channeling what Big and Pac's spirit is and where they would want to see their legacies go forward. And, and if I can, and thankfully the estate allows me to kind of pilot the ship in this one lane, then I'm just going to keep on going forward and not worry about it. If that, I don't know if that answers it, but that's kind of how I, how I look at yeah, it. it, it it's a good perspective. And, and I want to get Aaron's on that one, because for me, that is something that I always marvel at. Like it bugs me out how I can go into the, the, the spaces that are dominated by liberal white folks and they can spout out a biggie lyric but if they saw big the person on the street and he wasn't big the person they not really trying to mix that up right like people who can walk around talking about yeah keep your head up and Pac was a revolutionary and this then the third but when he had just got shot when he did his last interview with kevin powell with vibe when he you know that Pac was not somebody you was trying to embrace that Pac was a problem. That Pac was a thug. So it's always interesting to me to see how majority culture is okay embracing, in hindsight, the art, the image, and the music of who we're talking about. But again, in the current day manifestation of what that experience is and represents, somehow remains tone deaf. And it's just such like an interesting thing to watch when you see it like in front of your eyes because you out here listening to Ready to Die, but you're okay living in a city or a space where the conditions that he's rapping about still exist, still are prevalent, and you're not invested at all in doing anything about it. I mean, you, you, that Pac that you referred to that was not huggable at that time is 23 years old is getting fed up. I mean, incarcerated, uh, realizes like, fuck, like, what am I going to, what am, what am I supposed, what more can I do? Like, what else can I do? And to your point earlier, if that 29 year old white man on the street 
stops to that 23-year-old black man who is maybe having a tough time, not trying to be all Pollyanna, and has a dialogue with them and sees that, they will understand. And I saw it in the Tupac exhibit. It wasn't just us that went, to your point earlier. It's all about appropriation. Hip-hop does not grow in the way that it does globally until it leaves where it starts. It's like a child. To be able to grow, you have to be able to get out of where you're from. The commercialization of leaving where it started makes it into this global thing. But KRS and Chuck D and all those people that you mentioned before, like we know what that is. We understand and hold that close and dear. When you mix that with commerce and you mix that with selling tickets and selling t-shirts and making NFTs and doing metaverse and all of these things that commercialize the art, there is an internal struggle that I'm sure is for an artist, for us stewards, to use your word. I don't have that struggle. I come at everything from a purely fan point of view because I am one. I have Tribe on my wall behind me. I have Otis Redding on the floor. I have these. I have RZA and Wu-Tang here. Like, this, is, this is so much more than a project in the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, whatever that is. And... To use just analogy, like we are now at a point where we can, I now have, because of the blessing from Afeni Shakur and then from the estate, we opened up a beautiful exhibition, which now allows me to go speak to any iconic hip hop artist, estate, or family and say, they didn't think we could do it, but we did it. Now let's do it for you because the money is there from these corporations and sponsors and partners. The desire is there from the audience and the market and the city. The desire is there to participate from the community if you can build a proper community programming slate while you're in the city. Hip-hop can do a lot of great things besides be celebrated this year. And the point of the exhibit, and I think what Jeff did with Biggie and bringing that music indoors, inside of Lincoln Center, which I think is critical. It started out outside. They only gave them outside in June. But mm. then they saw, and then, oh, okay. Then let's give you inside in December. Come on, in. Come on in, guys, and bring all your friends with you. So I try to have blinders on with that. Biggie and Tupac are such polarizing global, these, these ideas. You know, I also manage other estates, which are, I don't want to say softer, but different legacies, different outcomes, different, you know. Um, Biggie, Tupac, Kurt Cobain, Jim Morrison. There are certain musicians and artists that are these lightning rods that have these devoted uh, ravenous fan bases simply because gone too soon. It that such a hard record. Match. We lose big 26 years ago yesterday. Such a hard record. More now with an exhibition, with an orchestral performance, with Biggie and the Metaverse that the estate did this year, which was groundbreaking in the musical space for uh, this for what they did in the Metaverse and to do a full concert with a deceased artist. Like that's next level shit. But it starts to your going back to the top of the conversation with, I didn't think you guys could do this. Well, it's because nobody tried. But now that we know, now that we've peeked in, now that Jeff's inside of these companies and I'm inside, we know it's there. We now thankfully can say, we've done it already. Let's just do it for you. One of my last questions to tie up everything that we were just talking about, because it really is something that I've been thinking about. If you think about sort of the Mount Rushmore of who was where they are 
at that peak where when Big and Pac were Big and Pac, right? There's really only a couple of other names. You got Jay, you got Nas, you got Snoop. That's pretty much like who was who was where they were at that time, right? And you can know and you know this because if you look at the conversations and the lyrics and who was writing songs about what, that's who was in the conversation. Wu-Tang is there, but they're in a totally different space as a hip-hop rock band. So they're like in a different space. But if you look at that sort of pantheon of that moment in history, that's who's there. To Jeff's point about a record scratch, the unfortunate thing is Pac and Big are no longer with us. Where I'm going with this is if they're the OGs, that Mount Rushmore that I just gave, right? Of that moment, that specific moment in time, I'm not going on anybody's top five list or anything. I'm just saying that specific moment in time. Nas is still here. Jay is still here. Snoop is still here. They give for whatever work for, for whatever it's worth to whatever degree people may be interested and to whatever degree they want to, they provide somewhat of a blueprint of growth and transition that's ongoing for younger artists. So in that way, because they're still here, they serve as somewhat of a bridge to like a new generation of artists to move and transition throughout different phases of their career. Cause you can look, you can see them, you can see where they ended up. You can see how they made moves, what worked, what didn't all of those things, right? Big and Pac are missing from that conversation. How in what or in what ways does their legacy for your from your perspective like serve as a bridge or can it serve as a bridge given that they're not physically still here? Um, yeah, I, I was gonna say the for me personally, the that's the core of what I do is I you know I manage estates for artists that aren't here, so that is the job is how, what what are those bridges? Um, you know, I don't manage the Tupac estate. Um, I manage a number of others. Um, the bridge always is younger, you know, when you use that. It's always going, because we got us. We are, we right. are fans. We are never going to, we're not going anywhere. The question is, how do I turn my 12-year-old daughter and 9-year-old son onto that music? Um, and those bridges are everything. It's TikTok, it's t-shirts, it's documentaries, it's books, it's anime, it's, I mean, I was just watching, uh, you know, um, uh, there's a preview for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Again, thinking about legacy brands, that was around when we were kids. Seth Rogen is redoing it, and the trailer, the first voice you hear is Q-Tip doing Can I Kick It? So I think and it was the first song in Tom and Jerry. Again, I have two small children. And I was like, hip hop is all over everything right now. Um, and it's great because my kids know who Q-Tip is and they know who Redman is and Busta. They know all these voices and names. Whereas when we were kids, we knew who Lionel Richie was and Prince. And, you know, there's such an exposure that this generation gets. Big and Pac specifically, you, those three guys you mentioned, Titans of business industry now, uh, still top of their game lyrically, um, still incredibly relevant, uh, but so different than Big and Pac. So different 
in their in their in their you just imagine with if Tupac had social media, you know, what would be the messages being put out there, knowing that the core of his life is activism, knowing that music was a bridge to use the analogy to get to help people and to be an activist for his people. So, you know, it's a great what if. It's it's why these estates and legacies, not just big and pock, but you know, big pun, one album, gone. You know, what would have happened? What could have been? Think about how huge Puerto Rico has been in the last 12, 15 years. Jennifer Lopez and Bad Bunny and this whole reggaeton, all of this starts in the late nineties, and pun is at the center of that. And he's gone. So it's kind of the, the magic sauce of this business, especially with the artists that aren't here, is that mystery of loss is, is the allure of why it stays relevant and why it stays big. Otis Redding dies at 26 years old in a plane crash. Sitting on the dock of the bay is not even released yet. You know, what could that have been? He was begging and pleading for years, singing love songs, and then he's sitting on a on a dock in Sausalito, California with a guitar strumming about and you hear seagulls in the background, right? So what could that have been? I think that part of these estates, James Dean drives off a cliff in his car, 23 years old, what could have been? So, you know, I, I always choose to not focus on the end, which is why a lot of this business is about the art and not about the untimely demise, because that's the low-hanging fruit, especially when we talk about black men, how we die, how tragically we die. Pop Smoke is killed in, a, in the Hollywood Hills. And it's not about that. It's about what everything that leads up to the moment of that passing, for me, is what's important. I don't care about the plane crash. I don't care that Donny Hathaway plunged to his death from the Essex House in New York in 1979. I care about everything that until that moment that he chooses, then it's over for him. And, and, and that's okay. But we, we are the ones that keep it going. So again, long-winded answer to say that the, the bridges are, are so critical because that's how these estates and legacies keep going and stay relevant. Um, I'll, I'll keep my instructions. I know we're coming up towards the, towards the end, but I think when you see, um, you know, Aaron mentioned Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Seth Rogen, the opening track for the new Transformers movie, massive trailer, big. So it's going to get the, the music. These guys are 24, 25 years old when they pass. Their music and their spirit and their souls were so large that we're still here 25 years later talking about them still being on the Mount Rushmore with all the other hip hop artists that have come after them and that will continue to come after them. Those two resonate because they in the there's a Mount Rushmore, but because of the allure of the loss, they actually almost sit above. That's right. The genre, like as a whole, they are they are pop culture icons. They are entertainment icons of the veins of the other people that Aaron and Mitch that have, that have been lost. The Marilyn Monroe's, the Jimi Hendrixes, you know those people who, the Bob Marleys, you know they sit there. They're beyond like the genre. And because of that, we get to take those legacies and even that music and then still have it have its level of importance in all the new content that's being created through the social medias, through the TikToks, through those challenges, through the remixing of these records, through it being in blockbuster films, through syncs on major commercials now. So you hear these guys' voice forever. 
And and that is a, that's that's we have a small part in doing that. I'm thankful that the estate does an incredible job. Mama Wallace, Wayne, Mark, Elliot do an incredible job of keeping Biggie alive. And his, and, and his kids are here. So now you're going to see the progeny doing dope shit, you know, as well with the with these legacies. So it's a beautiful place to be. It allows, I think, Big, um, in my case, to continue to resonate. It allows me to have conversations. Because when you say Notorious B.I.G., everyone picks up your phone call. Everyone picks up your phone call. Everyone wants to listen to what you're about to articulate to them about how can they get in the business of Notorious B.I.G. And I know it's the same thing for Pac. Um, and it's a beautiful place to be because that's how talented these young men were, these young black men were. Their genius is beyond. You can't even capture all their genius. But it's so important that they have that 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 there's these incredible teams that look after their legacies. That are the ones that are helping driving the ship um, going forward from the marketing, the art and commerce and blending those two together. So ultimately, they can continue to overcharge brothers for what they did to the cold crush. <laughs> Listen, um, so much that we could talk about, so much that I've really already part enjoyed. Part two, Charles, part yeah, two. We are, are going to have to we're gonna have to revisit this, especially as you guys continue to do more work and your work travels. But, like, we could literally just, even now, just keep going. But before we get out of here, um, we usually play a game on the podcast called Life or Death Hip Hop Karaoke. And that mm-hmm. is, you know, you got a loved one. And they are right now captured, and you've got one verse from one record that you got to get right. You don't have to do the verse on the show. We'll take your word for it. But it is imperative that you do not mess up this verse at all, or it is kaput for the loved one that you have. So it's life. It's not even your life. It's the life of a loved one. Life of life of hip-hop karaoke i'm gonna add a twist to this one and see how you guys answer jeff you have to pick one tupac verse from one Pac song life or death karaoke you cannot get it wrong again you're not gonna do the verse but you cannot get it wrong and aaron you have to pick one big verse life or death karaoke which one what are you going with aaron what are you going with well, I'm six foot seven, so I love it when they call me Big Papa. All right, that's a that, that's a good that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a that that's an easy one because Big has a lot of like lyrically complex verses. Yeah, that could get tricky. But you said like, one of my family members is going to get got. Why? So. No, 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 no. That's, <laughs> you played it safe. That's smart because some people would go like on some real slickness. And it's like, yo, do you really want to do that with your kids on the line? Like, for example, like you don't want to mess around and get cute and choose his verse with bone. Just because it's a crazy verse. But do you want to try that on life and death hip hop karaoke? Probably not. Nope. Jeff, what do you got? Your one pot verse. Yeah, I'm gonna go a chorus because it's it's and I'm gonna go with Machiavelli. <laughs> and it's okay with me. Mary, run quick, see <laughs> who we have here now. Do you want to ride or die? Because yo, you gotta have your ride or dies with you. La da 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 da. Like, there you go. Can't get that wrong. You should not get that wrong, especially on life or death karaoke. Listen, this has been a black brilliance conversation on the Charles Coleman podcast. I am so thankful to have had. Jeff Walker and Aaron Sachs with me. Super duper amazing stewards of 
the culture of the artist and of the icons. Be on the lookout. I suspect we will be doing a part two. My name is Charles Coleman, and you have been watching the Charles Coleman Podcast. We catch you next week, next Wednesday, when a new episode drops. Peace.